0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A Veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. I have a, a to me, my, a very special guest today. Uh, he's my good friend, he's my brother from Vietnam, and he saw combat in Vietnam as few people have seen it. Um, He served with the United States Marine Corps and I Corps. That's the northern uh, part of South Vietnam. His name is Gary Price. Gary, my brother,
2: welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. Um, It's my pleasure, Pete.
1: Okay, thank you, Gary. Let me ask you a question, Gary. I I know you went through heavy combat. Um, You saw a lot of things that people never have seen before, but... I think one question the uh, listeners may have for you, why did you choose the United States Marine Corps?
2: It's kind of a funny story. I wasn't doing real good in high school, and I never did real good in any any school. It was hard for me to read a book and understand anything. And so I wanted to be a Marine. I wanted to go to war and I wanted to be trained by the best. So when I went and joined the Marine Corps, I signed up for four years, but when I went and took my test, I failed the test and they told me I was the most stupidest person they've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) That I tried my best to fail that test and I did not. I tried my best to make a hundred on it, but they told me that I did it on purpose, so they made me go in the Marine Corps anyway.
1: <laughs> you were uh you joined, you joined when you were 18 years old is that correct? Yes sir and when you got to Vietnam uh, boots on the ground you were still 18 years old. is that correct? Yes sir all right very good uh, you went in as a replacement Gary I know that uh, to Mike company and they called it Med of vac Mike.
0: Why did
2: they call it Medevac Mike? Well, when I landed in Denain, we went through, uh, I forget why you call it, uh, where they send you out to your units. And then I got up there and they told me, you're going to Medevac Mike. And I told them that, that I was not a corpsman. They said, we know that. and But you're going to Medevac Mike. And I uh, said, I'm not a corpsman. And they said that... Uh, we know you're not a coilman. We call them Metavac Mike Company, Metavac Mike, because they take on so many casualties. I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> so. you, you went to uh, a place called Camp
1: Hill 10, your base camp, Hill 10, near Quinnoy. Uh You went there with 33 other replacements. How many of you made
2: it home, Gary? It was only three of us made it home, and one did not get a scratch, but now they're, they're died died of Agent Orange, so I'm the only one that's left now. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. Uh, I'll tell you what, Maureen, you've earned your uh, peace. Listen, Gary, you, you told me about the time that you were walking across a rice paddy and an NVA machine gun opened up on you. And you said that you just froze momentarily and that you were speculating on a number of holes in your body. And you swore that you glimpsed the face of Jesus. Tell us about that
2: incident. Oh, that gives me chills. We had a one-legged woman that turned in booby traps. And so they wanted me to take my squad and escort her back to a village and make sure she got there uh, safe. Well, I was walking point with her, and we was on a rice paddy dike walking them, and I was making sure I was making every step that she did, so I wouldn't hit a booby trap or her either one or whatever. Man, then a machine gun opened up on us, and everybody went down. And I sat there, and I froze, and I looked down, and there she was, down behind the rice padded dike. And I'm still standing there in mud and water, hitting me all over. How he didn't hit me, I have no idea. But, but I opened up my flight jacket to see how many holes was in me. And then I heard it. everything just turned real white, like the Lord come and got me. And then my friend run up behind me and knocked me down. And I th- turned around and threw my rifle to him, and I said, "If you come after me again, I'll kill you." And he turned around and told me to shoot. But I—I I killed a woman. And we was like in a perfect u shape ambush. So we called in air strikes and artillery, and then we raided the village and burnt down. We took in uh, one casualty. I had one guy that got hit uh, in the legs, and that was the only casualty that we took. But I, I shot a log rocket in on the machine gunner and took him out. That, uh, that uh, Marine
1: that knocked you down saved your life.
2: Yeah, I believe that. But yeah, No doubt about it.
1: All right. Uh, well, that's uh, that That's The hair, hair on my arms, Gary.
2: Yeah, all it right. gives my throat a scratchy also.
1: I know. You, uh, you mentioned the airstrike you called in. You had airstrikes so close to you at times that it damaged your hearing permanently, didn't it?
2: Yes, it did. And matter of fact, all of our guys. We I've got pictures of air strikes that where they coming in within a 100, 200 yards of us, dropping uh, two hundred fifty pounders, sometimes five hundred. But one main time we was up on the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, on Operation Oklahoma Hills, and we called in air strikes and B fifty twos was coming in and they bombed for 24 hours. I was telling you about this before, but they bombed 24 hours without a break in the bomb. And we would just sit there and like bounce on the ground with a concussion and bleeding out of our ears, nose, mouth. And and then once the bombing started, well then the NVA come back out of their holes and we was back in fighting. It was like the bombs wasn't even touching them. But it put us through pure hell.
1: I know it did. I'll tell you what, though. You guys uh, really liked those B-52 strikes, didn't
2: you? <laughs> we loved them. <laughs> <laughs> we never did get to... We couldn't see them because they were so high. But you could tell when they let their eggs go when they'd come whistling through the sky and then they'd go pounding on the ground. It is a, a sound that no one unless you was there could could even imagine what what an airstrike like that is.
1: I remember you told me in our interview that uh, there you were. The, the Marines were bleeding from their ears and their eyes and their nose and their mouth and everything else but you were jumping
2: up and down, cheering on the (laughs) B-52s. Yes, we was. I mean, we got, it was, it was a show, but I guess the morale of the B-52s, how amazing it was, you know. Excuse me. David, go ahead. I thought David came on the line for just a minute. Go ahead, Gary. But it it was just amazing the... To watch how what firepower the America has, and uh, you it's- know,
1: you know, Gary, I, I plotted missions for B-52s uh, as part of my job. Uh, I don't think people realize how devastating that bomber can be. Uh, three B-52s flying in a triangle formation, bombing from thirty-five thousand feet. Three airplanes. When they drop those loans, they cover an area equivalent to 325 football fields. So I can imagine even being close to that must have been some kind of experience. I'm glad I didn't have to experience, I can tell you that.
2: Uh, Well, I mean, there were no trees or nothing left when they would leave.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you went into, uh, I think it was in... Uh, Laos, you guys went to a to a hot zone with a Chinook chopper, and they had to back up to a mountain. Uh, and 130 Marines jumped off, and in less three minutes, you only had about 19
2: guys still standing. Uh, tell us about That's that right. action.
1: What happened that day?
2: We come in. We, we all we ever done was hit the hot spots. And then uh, Chinooks, the 46s come in. We got we land. We got on a hot LZ flying out, and it flew the whole company out. Like I said, you know, it was 133 of us. We could not land on the mountain. They backed up to it, and we bailed out the back of it. How far off of the ground we jumped, I can't really remember. But um, it was. I don't know. I, I'd probably say eight feet maybe. But we bailed out of there and then they flew out of there and um, in less than three minutes, it was only 19 of landed. I meant standing. And wow. we was in so much fire up there, they were shooting the F-4s down as fast as they could come in. And we oh. was above. We were above the jets diving down into the valleys. Oh, it, man. It, Yeah. But uh, today is the, the anniversary of my second Purple Heart when I was shot in my chest today. Well, you and were wounded five hit.
1: times, right? You were wounded five yes. times, right?
2: Right. I got hit five times that I know of, but other than all that shrapnel that they told me about that I don't have any idea about it. But I was hitting my lung. And we was in one of the biggest battles uh, that we could never, ever been in. We was on Sussex Bay, out in Dodge City. We run into over a battalion of them. And as they was, he opened up, we went through so much fire that it just so hot and tired we was in the rise pad, and I pulled off my flight jacket and my helmet, and I was laying in the rice pad, just trying to cool off before we went back into the tree lines. Well, my George Hawkins, my section leader, come up and started jumping on me, screaming and hollering at me about putting my helmet and my flight jacket on, and I was mad, and he told me "He's going to write me up. I told him I didn't care. You know what are you gonna do? Send me a num. So he kept <laughs> screaming, calling. So I got up and threw my helmet on and stood up and spun my flight jacket around, let it drop down over my shoulders. And I was being a smart butt about it, and I double folded it. And I said, "How's this for you?" And then, bam! I went down. And he was on top of me, beat me in the chest, and he was screaming. Don't die on me, you little s o b. And <laughs> uh, I cleaned that up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yes, you did. Yes, you did. So, so, I and then,
1: hey, Gary, we are going it, to go to our first break, Gary. And I'm going to come back and let you explain exactly why you went down after you put your vest on. Okay, folks, we'll be okay. right back. We're, we're We're taking our first break. We'll be back with United States Marine Corps veteran of Vietnam, Gary Price, in just a
0: minute. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded show on America's Web Radio. Be sure to join us live every Tuesday at 1500 hours for the latest in gun news, gun products, gun politics, and other gun-related stuff. That's Tuesday, 1500 hours, America's Web Radio.
1: And I want to remind everybody, Rick White, uh, Colonel Rick White, uh, retired, who is the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, asked me to make this special announcement that the uh, induction ceremony scheduled for
2: November the 7th has been postponed because of the COVID-19 problem. And uh, there, we will be announcing a, a future date for the
1: Uh, inductees and the induction ceremony to be held in Columbus, Georgia, as always, but uh, the November 7th uh, induction ceremony has been postponed, so we'll give you a future date just as soon as we have one. Okay, folks, we're back with Gary Price, United States Marine Corps veteran of Vietnam. He was telling us that he had uh, just put his flight vest back on, and bam, he got hit. Gary, take it from there, buddy. What happened?
2: Like I said, he was arguing with me and I was being the smart addict, and I double-folded my flight jacket, and I had a pack of cigarettes and a Zippo lighter. And I'm thinking it me double folded. Been a smart aleck, double folding uh, my flight jacket, and it going through my cigarettes and Zippo lighter, probably it had saved my life. And um, from there on, I don't remember anything else. Uh, I just went, I went out of it, and I don't remember nothing else about it. Wow! Except. Oh, um, oh! Well, you were lucky I mean, that
1: I, day. I guess Good Lord was watching you that day, Gary Price.
2: Yeah, I guess I was lucky every time, Pete. It was. Um, I mean, I I had got to the point that I wasn't going to make it out of there, in no way. That I was going to try to take out as many as I could, but luckily I did. I served my full thirteen months. And when I got well, out of the hospital, go ahead, Pete.
1: No, no, you, you were talking about once uh, ambush and skirmish you got in. You ran into a North Vietnamese regiment, and both sides, you, the Marines, and, and the North Vietnamese, you guys sort of ran out of ammunition, and it got very personal. Tell us about that.
2: We was on Hill fifty five, it was four hundred and fifty Marines lined up to cross the river to take to go into Ganoy Island where they knew it was heavily concentrated with NVA trying to t- overrun Denain. the name. The hundred and first army airborne was lined up beside us and they outnumbered us of probably two to one. But then the colonel stepped up and said, the "Army stand down. Marines are taking this island." So it was 450 of us crossed that river and went in into uh, on the ganoy Island, and they estimated around 9,000 NVA in there. We was in one of the damnedest firefights we'd ever been in. We all ran out of ammo. They ran out of ammo, and then we went in hand-to-hand combat. And, I mean, we were fighting with bayonets, K-bars, rifles, E-tools, anything that we could get our hand on, but we finally overtook them. And I had one run up to me and, and went into a karate stance, and I took my K-bar, and I rammed him with it and took him out and um, it got real hairy then. Yeah. Finally we got yeah. more supplies in we held them back and we did finally take it but we had other Marines coming in on the other side I don't remember what units those were but uh, it was Mike, Company, which I was in Lima and Kilo it went in uh, from our, on the Riverside, it was cool. a big ambush. They had rifle ranges underground there, underground mess halls, boot camp. They had it all, and I mean, you never seen them. And uh, yeah. but we we took it. And we got a citation out of it. Well, they, they were very good.
1: Uh, they could dig some great caves over there. They had some great underground facilities. they have been at it for 2,000 years before we ever got there. Gary, I know you got hit in the leg once, and you waited two days to be airlifted out with a leg move. Tell us when you got airlifted out finally. And, by the way, when did you
2: get that leg move? I got the leg wound on Ho Chi Minh Trail. I thought they'd blow my leg off and it's my whole squad was taken out and it was only, it was three of us left out of it that we was trying to take a machine gun out and then he got away from us because he, he, he wore us out going up the mountain and then the other rest of the company come in and take over and they call Mudavacs in. I had a vein hanging out of my leg and it was just shooting like a water hose. The corpsman got up to me and took a thread out of my pants and tied it off and pushed it back down in me. We lay there for a day and a half before we could even get a motor back in there because we was under such heavy fire. My mother and dad family got the telegram that I was in the hospital doing fine and i was still laying out there in the field bleeding (laughs) oh man and uh, but we was laying up under a uh, a dead tree i was taking daravon i had another guy in my squad he got shot in his guts and another one got shot through the throat and come out of his jaw and we were sitting there, and they was on morphine, and I gave him my morphine. And like I said, I was just taking Darvon. And he looked up at me, and he stuck his finger in his throat. And he turned around to me, and he said, watch this, crazy. And he opened up his canteen and started drinking water, and it was running out of his throat. And we sat there and thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> and we laughed about it, but I don't know if the guys made it home or not. I don't know if they died. I never did hear anything outside of them. Okay. But they sent me back to my company. I stayed in the hospital a week. They sewed me up on the seventh day, then they released me. Um, but the general, two-star general come in the hospital to give me a uh, my purple heart. And he wanted me to go outside with him and take a picture so I could send it to my family and tell them how I'm doing good. Well, I had a hole in my leg about the size of a, a tennis ball. So he, he helped me walk out there. He more or less toted me out there and held me up and took a picture. Then I was bleeding so bad they had to take me back in there. And he turned around, and he told me, he said, I I never forget the words he said, he said, Son, this metal cost the Marine Corps eighty five dollars and he said, I don't like giving them out. I said, Sir, I didn't want that one. <laughs> so he said, Well just try not to get any more. But yeah, had- uh, if our Gary, if I recall
1: right like, when they stitched you up.
2: They didn't give you any painkiller, did they? No. And as a matter of fact, the, the operating room, the emergency room, was outside under a shed. It was not anything like a hospital. You're not put into um, stretchers until you get off of a chopper. Then they'll put you in one. But you're flying in with your dead and the other wounded. You're on top of each other. They separate me. This one's got a chance to get him in there. This one's dead. Take him away. And and they just running back and forth. And, and it was four guys that held me down. Big, real big guys, real strong. Held me down while the doctor cut on me. And then when he finished, he turned me loose. Well, when I got out of the hospital seven days later, it sent me back to my unit. And he gave give me a piece of paper where he, I would go on light duty. So when I got in that chopper was coming in, I got to my CO, and I said, Sir, here's my uh, papers that I'm on light duty. He said, get, out, get your gear, Marine, and get on that chopper. We own a hot LZ. So I flew right back out in combat as soon as I got there. And the Pullman took the stitches out of my legs out in the field. Jesus, uh, Gary, I
1: remember you. To, you told me though uh, you were a nonstop volunteer. You you just kept going, going. Uh, uh, why did you keep volunteering for stuff, man? I
2: I had a I had a lieutenant. And he was crazy about me. Every time we went out, I had I had to go. And then my sectional leader told me he was going to write me up if I didn't quit volunteering to go. So when he would go to sleep or something, I'd get up and go and volunteer. And then when I got back in, he'd beat the hell out of me. So I don't know. I just, I wasn't trying to be a brave man. I just, I I really can't answer that. Question, Pete. Okay. I just wanted to go. I understand that. I know that in one stretch, Gary,
1: you went sixty-three days without a bath, never took off your boots, and you were in heavy combat during all that time, dude. I don't know how you
2: survived all that, but uh,
1: I bet uh, you were looking forward to a good shower. Shower. <laughs>
2: I think the doctors wanted me to get a bath more than they did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Uh, yeah, we would go out, and it it'd be a month or so before we'd come in and even get a hot meal or a bath. What bath we had, we would take in a bomb crater or a river. And then I think every Marine in the and the company smoked, and we'd cross them and had to stop and pull our clothes off and get out on the other side and burn the leeches off each of them. Jeez. And uh, I got bit once by a centipede in the arm, and, oh, God, I thought that was going to come off.
1: Really? Tell us about that.
2: I went, it was during monsoon season, and I had my poncho. I was sleeping in a foxhole and and uh, had my head above so I wouldn't drown with all the water and a centipede had bit me on the forearm and it swelled up like I don't know like three times the size well I, they didn't move back me then either I had to stay there until all it was over so I didn't get out on that till it went down I don't even remember what they give me to take, or if they did. Wow.
1: That, that's incredible what you guys went through on the ground, Gary. We are going to our second break. Uh, we'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. <laughs>
3: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Join me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: All right, we're back with Gary Price, Vietnam Veteran, United States Marine Corps. Gary, uh, we were talking about how you were in combat continuously, and you said that sometimes replacement came in and they were killed the same day. You never knew their names. That must have been, uh, uh, I don't know, heartbreaking, or it was just the cold
2: statistics of war. Tell
1: us a little bit about that.
2: A lot of them, when they would come in, Pete, we wouldn't know their names or anything and they come in as boots and then we we stayed out continuously going out and running uh ambushes or firefights or setting them up and all the time it was really when we got to come into the hill we would pick up our replacements and that's how i got into my company My Company was wiped out, and I come in as a boot, and I didn't know anybody. They didn't know me. And um, I went over there. I I just turned PFC when I got in to NOM. And uh, I made Lance Corporal real quick, then I made Corporal. A lot of the guys would try to get their names and the dog tags that if they got killed, you know, they would know or missing in action, would know who they were. But a lot of times you wouldn't even get to know some of them's name.
1: Wow. That, that's that's sad. That is sad. Gary, you you were the good son. You kept your parents in the dark about what you were doing over there. Uh, tell us how they found out what you were doing. Uh.
2: My, I never told my family that I was in combat. I always tell them that I worked in the store running a cash register because that's what my parents did. They owned the store. So I got out and like when I got shot that first time and, and I did not, couldn't stopped the telegram because they got the telegram before I even got to the hospital. Well, the Marine Corps come out to the store that they owned. Mom and Dad both was out there working. My mother was pumping gas. My dad was inside the store. These two Marines in dress blues walked in the store. Then they come walking out with my dad toward my mother. And she started screaming and crying, he's dead, he's dead. And uh, they said, no, he's he's not dead. He has been wounded, but he's in the hospital, 1st Medical Battalion, doing fine. And I wasn't even in the hospital yet. So when I finally got to write him and tell him I was okay, and, uh, and I didn't have to go to combat no more, and I because I then got wounded I, I w- didn't have to go back in combat so I lied to him again and then here we are we're getting another big firefight and then here comes the the media flying out and filming us and this woman jumped up out of the plank chuck and ran over to me and I was in a foxhole being another guy and we were just firing like I don't know what, and she was over taking taking our picture, and I reached up and grabbed her and throwed her down, and she said, what's the war like here? I said, it's hell, isn't it? And so we laid down a base fire anyway, they flew out, and I got to get this letter from my mother, and she said, I thought you wasn't in combat. But anyway, my Twin brother and sister was five years old. They was watching TV one evening at six o'clock news, and they went running in there and telling Mama, 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 said Gary's on TV. <laughs> she runs oh, in there and she looks, and I'm not, I'm not there. I'm gone. She said, uh, Well, you know, they just five years old. They probably saw somebody. It looked like me. <laughs> Uh, who knows? The phone rings. So the phone, her phone rings, and it's my older sister. And she's saying, Mama Gary's lied to you, to all of us. He is fighting. He was there on fighting again in the war. So they went up to WSB News, and they played the reel over again, and they saw me in combat. So I turned around and told them, well, I'm not going to go back no more. I just wanted to go out so I could tell my family that I was uh, was in the war. (laughs) So I lied to them again.
1: Well, you also uh, made a a deal with the guy in the mail room to mail out letters that you had pre-written to your parents. Tell me (laughs) about that. (laughs)
2: When I'd get a chance, I'd write I don't know how many letters, which it might be a paragraph or two. It never was nothing real long. I'm doing fine. Hope y'all are, you know, now. Everything's fine over here. And then I'd write up a bunch of them, Salem, and I told the guy at the mail room or whatever you want to call it, I said, mail one a day for me. And make sure that you get one out, so they get a letter from me, so my parents and I wouldn't worry about me. So he did that for me, and it kept me out of trouble. So they didn't know I was in combat again until I come home and I was healing up from my last wound. Wow, you're, you're something else, there, Mister
1: Price. I got the. Uh, uh... I want you to tell us the story about Dodge City. You know, a lot of people have forgotten about that except for the men that were there and people oh. who write about it like me. Tell me about Dodge City. What was that?
2: Dodge City was right off of hill 55. It was real flat. Um... I forget the highway. I I don't know if that was highway 1 that went in there or not, but Hill 55 was the 1st Marine Division uh, Regiment Hill. There was always heavy combat fighting in there every time you go in. And the Arizona territory was on the opposite side of the road, but it was just thick jungles. Um, every time you went in there, you was going to be in a firefight sooner or later before you got out. And then we would run patrols in there and, and like continuously. We'd split up and fire teams and our, our squads, and then all of us just go in different directions and then come back to meet in the same place. But you was always in a firefight when you went in there.
1: I know you told me, Gary, in one fight you lost 122 men. Is
2: that correct? Yes. We lost... That's... Go ahead. That was, and I think that was... Sussex Bay, I believe the operation Yes, Sussex Bay. It's also known as. I think it's in the Quan Nam province, also. But my company, in total, lost two hundred and seventy men KIA. Oh man.
1: And you told me that the old man in your platoon was 21 years old. Is that correct?
2: (laughs) Yes, he was an old man. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, We
2: called him "Pops," old man. But he was 21 years old, and that was just unbelievable. Usually they was around 19. Most of them was around 19, and... Good many, I guess, would be eighteen years old also.
1: Wow. Listen, you, you said that some of the airstrikes were so close that marine Marines were rumored to rip off their buttons to get closer to the ground. But you guys love the flyboys. And one day uh F four Phantom Jet dropped his bombs and ordered so close that he thought he hit you guys tell me about that day
2: that's when we had got in a, a really big firefight and we was trying to get a off of us we was getting surrounded and called in f4s and we were sitting there and I was talking to him on the radio he was blue leader and the other one was warbird. And they come in, there was two of them, and they run out of the bombs and everything. So he comes in and he tells me, he says, take the buttons off your shirt and get a little closer to the ground. I told him, I said, I'm popping smoke. I said, hit it. I said, they're all over top of us and we can't get out. We're not going to make it out of here. And he said, That's your position. I said, It sure is. I said, Hit it. So I took red smoke and I popped it and he said he said, Mike four, Mike Four coming in on your run and he dove down. I rolled over on my back and here he come right straight down on top of me. And I had my instamatic one oh four and I said, Well maybe my family can, you know, have these pictures of me. So I rolled over my back, and when he fired him rockets, I took a picture and rolled back over. And there was 36 rockets coming right in front of that camera. They all went off and everything. He come back in, and he did a barrel roll, and he wanted to know, was we all all right? And I told him, yes, that he wasn't worth a damn because he didn't hit neither one of us. So he come back in, and he flew over and he did a barrel roll and then told us that we had two more fighters coming in. But he got them off of us and got us back to where, you know, we could move. And that was in Dark City. That was it.
1: Dark City is not a place you want to go, right?
2: No. No, sir, because if you went there, you're going to be in combat before you come back out.
1: Unbelievable, Gary, I want you to tell the folks there was a, a ship out there in the Gulf of Tonkin on Yankee Station called the Battleship New Jersey from World War II, USS New Jersey Battleship. Tell us about when they fired those big guns off that battleship,
2: what it sounded like and what effect it had for you uh, Marines. We had um, the New Jersey, we could hear it firing 30 over 30 miles away. But we was again up on Ho Chi Minh Trail, and they claimed, and how I knew, I had a doctor at the VA when I walked in. He said, Marine, huh? I said, yes, sir. He said, I was in the Navy. I said, I'm not mad at you. (laughs) He uh, (laughs) He said, I was on the New Jersey. He said, you ought to be on that ship when it fired them 16-inch guns because it would knock the battleship back eight foot sideways every time it fired. I said, hell, you ought to be out there with it when you got 2,500 pounds flying over your head that was like a school bus blowing up out there. He (laughs) said, you was that close to him? I said, I sure was. That is
1: funny. Uh, well, I mean, it was a serious then, but the way you describe it, uh, I, a lot of the buddies that, that I know, they saw the battleship New Jersey fire those big guns, and they said they just, they were in awe of the firepower of that battleship. Gary, we're going to our last break. We'll be right back, my friend. Stay with us.
0: Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Join me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics.
3: If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Get
2: your pen
0: and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys
1: Okay, we're back with Gary Price, United States Marine Corps Veteran, Vietnam. Gary, we were talking about the battleship New Jersey, firing those big 16-inch guns in support of you guys. Uh, If I recall right, Gary, you once told me that you could almost see that projectile coming through the sky. Is that right?
2: You could see some of them. That's what I said. It looked like a Volkswagen or a bus when it comes through. And I mean it's just making all sorts of ragged. It I don't know, it just looks like it, it, it's hard to explain. But like you, like when y'all bombed us, we come off of the ground. Well when those things are hit we'd come off of the ground too. But they claim that that ship is so accurate that it could ring a fifty five gallon barrel with every shot. That's, that's,
1: how that's how I actually say That is amazing. That's World War II technology. Gary, uh, I, I went to one of your birthday parties out there at the uh, Veterans uh, Park in Rockdale County, and you had two of your brothers from Vietnam also attend your birthday party. Uh, one of them you call Baby Huey, like the cartoon character, the duck, Baby Huey. <laughs> Tell me about Baby Huey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, uh, we was, this was Dodge City also. We had gotten to a really, I don't know how many we had run into at a time. And we were throwing medevacs on the chopper, just running out and slinging them in. Well, this big explosion went off, and it was an RPG, and it was not no one left around. Everybody was gone, and I'm like, what happened? And so I'm walking around all days and everything. And then <laughs> George Hawkins, my section leader, he was up, leaned up against a graveyard. And the corpsman was over there working on him. And he had this big bandage on his head. And it was tied up there like a body. And I looked <laughs> over at him and I started laughing. And he's... I can't tell exactly what he said on the radio, but you can imagine. And I said, "You look like Baby Hugh is sitting over there." <laughs> and I can't say what he said back either. <laughs> but, you are. But he was uh, He's the one that you're saved you're- my life with the vest, also. Wow, uh, th- that
1: was quite a birthday party. I enjoyed. Talking to all three of you, I could tell how close you were, and I could tell you'd been in combat by looking in your eyes. Uh, You guys saw the worst of it over there. Uh, Now, there was one Marine there that he made his entire tour in Vietnam and never got one scratch. Uh, What was
2: his name? That was Norman Sheldon. How he didn't get a scratch, I have no idea. But he is only one of the very, very few that not get that did not get hit with anything. But he,
1: I hope, I hope, I hope he became a preacher.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think neither one of us are actually people, <laughs> but <laughs> they, uh, we're all brothers, and you know, as Marine Corps is a brotherhood, but. All veterans of any branch of the service—Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard—I respect every one of them. Everybody has a job to do, and uh, I, I just happen to have the the dirty job, and I don't I don't feel bad about it. And I don't take anything away from any veteran. I think every one of them deserves recognition, even if they was a cook, the mailman, or in a type. And I think every one of them, we we did it as a uh, a bond with every one of us. But it was some of us that just had the dirty job. Can you guys have the luck. I tell you what, Gary. I have
1: uh, so much respect for the United States Marine Corps. You guys went through hell over there. Uh, God bless you, my brother. Uh, let me uh, ask you this, Gary. Uh, tell me about your worst day in Vietnam. Your worst day, or were they all your worst day?
2: You know, I talked to my doctor. Uh, luck like it. VA doctor, he's a great friend of mine and he tried to get me to tell him about some experiences because of my PTSD and I told him I said I couldn't do, I can't do that because I don't have one thing that, that stuck to me more than anything I had every day something different that bothers me and I, I I still have nightmares. I beat my wife. I bruised her all to pieces at night and get up and uh, and find her that way. And I beg her, get away from me. No, you need me. So it's, um, she won't leave me and I got to respect her for it, but it, it, it upsets me But coming home. I had I got off of the plane, and I had people spitting on us. I don't think I actually got spit on, but I know they tried to, and I chased them, and I could not catch them because of my leg, and and I, I'm glad I didn't because I I would have killed them, and calling us baby killers and everything and uh you know. Yeah, you're next. So.
1: Yeah, uh, I think most of us went through that, Gary. That was not a good time
2: to be a Vietnam veteran. No,
1: sir. But that that worm has turned. Uh, We have gone from being baby killers to heroes, and I keep telling people that we're neither. We're just another generation that did our job under impossible rules of engagement, and I think that's probably the first time in our history where the people and the government turn their backs on us but the worm has been turned and for those of us who are left we're at least getting some recognition for what we went through over there and especially guys like you uh gary we uh, had oh you had open heart surgery recently uh tell us a little bit about that what they found and what came out of the back of your neck one day go ahead
2: my heart doctor woke me up when he was doing cleaning out my arteries after my open heart surgery. And he wanted to know that I hit a box mine. I told him, no, sir. And he said, did you jump on a grenade? I said, I'm crazy as hell, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> and he said, well, I want you to look at these x-rays. And he showed me and the wife and he took pictures of it of, on his phone and he said that look you have over a hundred pieces in you that's down in your groin and that's where my arteries and all are and i said can we take it out and he said no you would bleed to death so i tried to get other surgeons to take it out and they won't but i have to live with it every day through the pain And then the one in the back of my neck, my neck was itching one day, and I was scratching it, and I looked down, and my fingers was cut, and I'm like, wow, what's that? And I felt back in, I thought it might have been a piece of glass or briar back there, and I pulled it out, and it was a piece of shrapnel, and it worked its way out of the back of my neck. But I don't remember any of it.
1: How in the world can you get through a
2: metal detector at the airport? It's fun. <laughs> I mean, you, get, you ought to be behind me, you know, going through <laughs> it. Oh, <good laughs> it's like, you know, it's like a bomb. But, I mean, down the, in my growing era is like I got two bananas down there that there's so much metal in me. That is accumulated down there. And I'm like, how does all this work through my body and not, I don't know anything about it? Would I, you know, cutting arteries up or cutting my stomach or lungs or whatever? But I, I don't know. I do, you're a tough Marine, that's why. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I'm just like anybody else. But all of our veterans in every branch is a hero. and you 30 months in in vietnam pure hell i don't know how you took it
1: well thank
2: you i want to thank you i want to thank you for what you have done i want to thank you for what you do for these veterans because you really put me into a place that made me open up that i feel better about myself than than running and trying to hide under a shell somewhere. But it's it's what you do and what you have done over there is and I think your part is just as important as what I did. And
1: um, Gary, thank you more. my friend. Uh, that's that's heartfelt. Thank you very much. Uh, we had a special very special program at the George Walton Academy a couple years back. And uh, they called me. They wanted a patriotic program for Vietnam veterans. And I said, are you talking about a day, a weekend, or what? They said, no, four months. And I went, holy cow. And you were part of that. And you went out there and talked to these students. Uh, Tell us a little bit about if they accepted you, and then what did they give you on the last day Of that program, go ahead and tell
2: us about that. I had a girl that picked me out. She was very pretty. She became a big, uh, really a good friend of mine. Her name was Sydney. And um, Pete, time's up. She kept me going in there, and then I, at the end of it, they picked me out. I think it was over three hundred veterans. They picked me for number one and gave me the Quilt of Valor. I know that and that, that uh, I, yeah Gary, I saw
1: you when you received that. Our time is up. I'm sorry about that. I could talk to you forever, my brother. I remember that day, and you had tears in your eyes when those kids gave you that blanket of valor. And I cannot yes, think of a person, I cannot think of a person that deserved it more. My friend, we're going to have to go now. Uh, God bless you, Gary. I know, Sherry, your beautiful wife, is there with you. You know she's too damn good looking for you. I don't know how you got somebody <laughs> that is looking. But you are the man. You are the man. I gotta thank go,
2: your You're the man, too, my brother. And you'll always All right. be.
1: Talk to you later. Folks, thanks for joining us.
0: It's been a great thank you, Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.